Welcome to the Jewelry Connoisseur Podcast. And now your host, Leah Maravich. Hi, welcome to the Jewelry Connoisseur Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Maravich, news reporter for Rappaport. And today I'm here with my guest, Dr. Maria McLennan, who works in research on forensic jewelry. Hi, Maria. How are you today? Hi there. Yeah, I'm really well. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? Great. Thanks. And thanks for being here. So could you please tell everybody what is forensic jewelry? Yes, certainly. Um, So the idea of the forensic use of something like jewellery is that um, the lovely little idiosyncrasies and personalised features, um, all of the things that we really know and have come to love about jewellery, those can actually be really useful identifying features in investigations. So those might be criminal investigations, um, death and disaster investigations, or other police and criminal contexts. Very interesting. And what is your background and how did that lead you to getting involved with forensic jewelry? So interestingly, I am not a forensic scientist. Um, I'm I'm not a police officer and I'm actually not a scientist of of any kind. So um, I approached the idea of forensic jewelry um, from the jewelry side of things, really. I studied and trained as a jewelry designer many moons ago, more than 10 years ago now. I went to art college here in Scotland and I really, really love designing and making jewelry, but I don't know, it wasn't really enough for me. I didn't really fancy being self-employed and I wasn't really very sure what else you could do with a degree in jewellery design. So I just started to think about the other ways in which jewellery knowledge, tools and expertise might be relevant. And that led to me undertaking a master's programme where I was very fortunate to be offered the opportunity to undertake a project in designing a classification system for jewellery, working with forensic professionals. Very cool. So once you did that, how did you segue from designing the classification system into working in forensic jewellery and researching how jewellery can be useful in solving crimes or identifying people? So I think I would love to say it was like a kind of overnight light bulb moment. And I just woke up one morning and had this amazing idea and this innovative revelation. But unfortunately, it was a much more slower um, kind of process of, of thinking and pondering the subject. I think when I finished the master's project, it was a very short four or five month project that was much more about language and classification and describing pieces rather than actually identifying them. And I just started to think, well, already jewellery designers and gemologists and valuers and appraisers, our whole industry really already prides itself on kind of being um, detectives and investigators. And I think I thought that there's a lot of potential, um, untapped potential in this field that we could bring over a lot of that knowledge and information um, into different investigative contexts. So hallmarks can be traced and tracked and identified as can gemstones and personal engravings and and features are are unique and specific often to individuals. So I really started to think that there could be more done with bringing these areas together and I um, was just very lucky and very fortunate to be accepted onto 
a PhD program and I spent the following six or seven years researching the area. So what can you tell us a little bit about what clues you think jewelry can provide and how does that compare to other forms of identification such as fingerprints or DNA? Yes, certainly. So there's lots of fantastic insights that jewellery can offer us in providing um, information about uh, a crime or uh, a case or an individual. Um, As most of us will know, um, jewellery has lots of personal, sentimental, often religious significance. Um, It can have geographic origins, um, regional and cultural um, significance. Um, so it can capture and communicate a whole host of different aspects of a person's identity. There are also physical aspects of jewellery, um, as mentioned, like hallmarks, serial numbers, engravings, gemstone inclusions. All of these little physical features and properties can also be identified, tracked and traced, often to the purchaser or the designer or manufacturer. And therefore, that can give us a really good basis of identifying the individual in concern, but at the very least, providing an avenue for exploration um, that offers investigators um, maybe a clue that they wouldn't have otherwise had. And I think in comparison to other methods, um, whilst jewellery can be really useful, um, particularly because a lot of metals and gemstones are really robust, so they're very physically strong. And they can often survive a lot of extreme environments such as um, fire, um, submergence in water, perhaps, or buried environments. Um, whilst those are really um, useful properties of jewellery, jewellery is still known as secondary or tertiary method of identification. And what that means is that we can't really use jewellery as a foolproof or reliable um, scientific method. Um, it's quite subjective and that leaves a lot of room for interpretation and therefore error. So where we have our three what we call primary methods of identification, those are our fingerprints, our um, dental records or odontology, our teeth, and finally um, our DNA. So that could be from um, our, our hair or saliva or skin cells. So these three methods are our are, are primary methods and they're really a, a holy trinity almost of really reliable um, evidence that we can base the identity of an individual on. However, often, um, especially in maybe mass fatality incidents, a lot of that really vital um, DNA and primary information is lost very sadly. Also in certain parts of the world, we might not have access to things like dental records. And maybe a missing person hasn't been reported. So we actually aren't really sure who the individual, um, if we're presented with a body, we're not maybe sure who that individual is. So it's really in cases or instances like that where primary methods aren't perhaps readily available. That's where secondary or tertiary identifiers like jewellery can really play an integral role. And can you tell us about any cases that you've researched where jewelry has helped to identify somebody or to solve a crime? Yes, certainly. So one of the findings, I guess, of my PhD research, I was able to kind of identify approximately 12 distinct areas and subdisciplines, if you like, of forensics and law enforcement that jewelry has contributed to. and there are a number of cases in these kind of 
thematic areas. Um, watches, for example, can often indicate a time or approximate date of death, um, which is really interesting and has been evidenced in a number of cases, such as the Ronald Platt investigation, um, which involved an individual very sadly um, being recovered from the English Channel. Um, his body was in a very advanced state of decomposition at the time, but he was wearing a Rolex wristwatch, which if any of you are familiar with um, Rolex and other high-end or expensive timepieces such as Chopard or um, Cartier, often have a unique serial number that can be traced back to the point of purchase or the purchaser. And that was very much the case in this investigation and actually led the investigating team to being able to identify this individual. And also, within a very small margin of error, to approximate the date and time of his death, um, which is, is seen quite a lot in a number of cases that involve watches, the kind of battery reserve function of the watch or the mechanism of the watch is often shocked or jolted um, into stopping. And that can give us a good indication of um, the time or date of death. Very interesting. Do you have any other cases similar to that where you've seen it with jewelry pieces? Yes. So a few other examples of different areas that jewelry can contribute to um, are in crime scene investigation. Um, often that can tell us a lot of circumstantial information. This could be about differentiating between whether a crime or a death was the result of an accident or whether there was a struggle. So perhaps there was a deliberate death, such as a homicide or maybe even a suicide. So sometimes the way that jewellery is positioned at a crime scene, if it's perhaps neatly placed at the side of a sink or a bathtub, um, that kind of really considered premeditated thought and intention is is often indicative of suicidal intention. Um, whereas if an individual was perhaps found in a bathtub still wearing their jewellery, um, maybe having drowned, or maybe the jewellery is loose within the bathtub, that would be much more likely to indicate that the accident, um, the death was the result of an accident or perhaps some kind of struggle had ensued. So maybe maybe a deliberate homicide. There are a few other examples as well. Jewellery can be really useful in forensic art. It can help to act as an aid memoir. So when missing persons, perhaps, or cold case files that haven't been solved, the police might issue a drawing or some kind of sculpture or facial reconstruction to the public and the press. Um, and often jewellery is used in that to help try to prompt people and jog their memories with the hope that it's distinctive or unique and individual enough that somebody might recognise it and therefore might come forward to offer some information about the case. Do you know if there have been any cases where jewellery played a pivotal role in helping to solve the case other than the two that you've mentioned? Yes, I think there's a whole number of cases um, around the world, um, quite famous public cases, and I'm sure there are much more local examples that um, law enforcement all around the world um, have of, of using jewellery. Um, there's a lot of repeat patterns of behaviour that we sometimes see in serial killers, for example, where serial killers often like to harbour different kinds of trophy. And very often that's quite a personal or sentimental item and jewellery has been present in the kind of collecting um, patterns and behaviours of serial killers in many cases. 
we have quite a famous case in Scotland, a serial killer called Peter Tobin, um, who collected the different jewellery from some of his various female victims. Peter Tobin was convicted, I believe, of three different homicides. However, there were absolutely dozens of pieces of jewellery recovered in his kind of ghastly collection, if you like. So this led investigators to believe that perhaps Peter Tobin had been responsible for more murders than um, he was actually convicted of. And we see that a lot with different cases around the world where serial killers will collect these different trophies. But we also sometimes see it as being a kind of signature of the serial killer's crime. So it might represent the serial killer trying to communicate some message of sorts to the authorities. And there's been a few cases where jewellery hasn't been removed from the body as a trophy, but it's actually been deliberately placed or situated with the body. And that can link sometimes different multiple crimes together if it's seen as being a signature or a unique identifying feature for not only the victim, but actually the perpetrator or the suspect. Has law enforcement, it seems that they are quite accepting of jewelry forensics as a form of helping to solve crimes. Do you find any pushback or do you find that law enforcement is very open to this? I know you had mentioned previously that they had a special class at the GIA that some law enforcement officials took in order to learn more about jewelry to help them solve crimes? So I think um, it's important to note that this idea, this this forensic idea of jewelry is, is not an entirely new phenomenon. Law enforcement have been working with jewelers, gemologists, appraisers, and those in the industry for a number of years, almost on a consultancy basis asking different jewellers and people working in the industry to offer insight and expertise on cases. I think it's been very ad hoc and sporadic. So unfortunately, there isn't really a consistent universal or international process for this. Um, So it may be that different local law enforcement agencies are more aware that jewellery has a potential value in cases and maybe they know where to look or how to access that knowledge and expertise. So I think certainly they're very aware that any clue potentially in an investigation shouldn't be overlooked, and that includes jewellery. And certainly in the work that I've done, um, I haven't really found there to be much pushback, Um, maybe a little bit of scepticism around the fact that I'm a designer and somebody who has that kind of a background rather than a scientific background. But I think anything that can potentially help investigators with their cases, they're very generally willing and open to new approaches, new technologies and new techniques. And can you speak a little bit about the GIA course that you said that you knew about law enforcement taking? Yes, there's a really interesting example of this collaboration between law enforcement practitioners and the jewellery industry in the United States. And this came about as the result of a a really unique collaboration between the Gemological Institute of America and the FBI. And a couple of years ago, I believe, um, I think maybe even longer than that, there was a really unique partnership whereby FBI special agents could actually visit the GIA's headquarters in Carlsbad, California, and actually complete a short course in jewellery and gemology. And this really allowed them to upskill almost, providing them with a baseline knowledge. 
And they could then take that new jewellery and gem knowledge back with them and apply it to their cases. And although this is just an example that I myself came across in the course of my research, I think it's a really fantastic example of how the fields of law enforcement and jewellery have come together and really innovated and provided a real practical form of training. Um, Maybe not necessarily a solution, but certainly starting to bridge that gap between these disparate areas of knowledge. And I would really love to see something like that happen here in the UK and also internationally to have some maybe universal training program or international standard. So on that note, where do you see the future of jewelry forensics going? Do you see it becoming more popular? Do you see more people participating in more cooperation between law enforcement and the jewelry industry? I would love to think so, yes. So I will remain optimistic that that will be the case. I certainly think, you know, the the increasingly globalized nature of our modern world means that, very sadly, there will continue to be very complex, multidisciplinary and international crimes that we will need to pull together different skills and expertise in order to solve. There's an increasingly digital dimension to these crimes as well. So I think investigators really need to be very collaborative and open to working with individuals across the world. With regards to forensics and jewellery specifically, I think there's a lot of potential for, as I discussed, training programs to be developed and collaborative workshops to be initiated between these industries. So education is very important. I think my ultimate goal personally is to write or compose some kind of practical field guide or resource in the form of a book. But I also think there's a lot of potential in the field of forensic arts. I previously mentioned it's something I've become increasingly interested in is the way that jewellery can potentially act as this aid memoir, something that's really distinctive and recognisable, because I think it's really important, especially for us as jewellers, to tap into that wonderful notion of jewellery being something that's so personal and so distinctive that can really be unique and specific to different individuals. And I think that's a lot of potential in forensic art and reconstruction. Um, I think there's a lot of potential in the area of jewellery and gem theft and trafficking. So perhaps not jewellery that's used to identify bodies or individuals necessarily, but in that wider context of crime where Jewellery is increasingly a hot commodity and is increasingly being trafficked. Gems are being replaced and switched out with fakes and and forgeries. And there's a really global market, I think, for gold and precious metals ever more than now. Do you think then that it would behoove jewellers to change their jewellery or maybe to put more distinctive measures on their jewellery that would be able to be used in identification purposes or to solve crimes? I think that's a really interesting question. And I think it's very important for jewellers to be part of this conversation. Already, we know that hallmarks are unique and specific to the designer, the manufacturer, the jeweller. So whether it would be creating an additional hallmark, I don't know that we necessarily need to create something new. I think we can take advantage of a lot of the wonderful identifying features and skills and tools within the jewellery industry already. But I think there's definitely 
a space where jewellery maybe is in danger of being pushed into areas including biometrics and being merged with new increasingly miniaturized identification technologies. And I think what we need to make sure we do is be involved as an industry in that conversation to make sure that jewellery isn't seen as this opportunistic way of introducing identification technologies, chips and barcodes and surveillance in and around the body in a way that individuals are almost tricked into being accepting of because jewellery is something that we all embrace. So I think there's a real space for jewellery to be developed in interesting ways as an identification device. I think we need to be careful about the ways in which we do that, though. I agree completely. So as this is a new field that's really just come about recently or has become more known recently, if somebody was interested in getting involved in jewelry forensics, how do you think they could best go about that? I think, um, I mean, at the moment, worldwide, there isn't a kind of job, forensic jewellery job description, really. Um, and I think maybe in the future, we will see in the same way we see police and sketch artists working embedded within law enforcement. Who knows? You know, we may see that with designers. It would be great to think that there was the willingness to embrace having jewellers, maybe gemologists, actually embedded within law enforcement agencies. Um, although I think what's most likely to continue is, is the way that things currently work, which is on more of a consultancy basis, whereby law enforcement will often reach out and approach jewellers and gemologists and valuers in their local area. Um, so I think Although there's no traditional career path, and I, I think I've certainly shown that, you know, I often I feel I make it up as I go along. So I think I would encourage others to just really follow their passion for jewellery. So whether you are formally trained as a jewellery designer or maybe a historian, perhaps you've gone down the more scientific route and trained as a gemologist or a valuer or a appraiser, um, maybe you work in retail or industry, I think all of the knowledge you already have is very, very useful to law enforcement. Um, approaching an item, describing an item, identifying and valuing an item, being able to compare and contrast items to establish if they're one and the same, that is all very much part of um, the jeweler's job at the moment. And I think we really do pride ourselves in this industry on being detectives and using these very scientific investigative tools so we may see more formalized routes into this kind of area in the future. But for the time being, I think the thing that's most important is that willingness to collaborate, um, to maintain an open mind and not dismiss anything too quickly and just be willing to work across traditional boundaries and borders with industries and individuals that maybe we don't traditionally work with in our field. This is all fascinating. Maria, thank you so much for sharing all these insights with us. I have one final question. I wonder, has this changed your view on the type of jewelry you wear at all? Yes. I mean, how could it not, I suppose? Um, it's definitely changed the way I think about jewelry. I have to confess that I never really worn very much jewelry myself as an individual, which is quite interesting because a lot of the friends and the colleagues um, I have in the jewellery industry, it's quite similar. I do know quite a lot of jewellers that, funnily enough, 
don't tend to wear very much jewellery. So for anybody listening, I'm not sure if that's the case too, if people that work in the industry are more or less likely to kind of decorate and adorn themselves with gems and jewels. But it certainly does um, make me think differently about if I leave the house wearing a piece, you know, it, it is a little bit morbid, I suppose. But what would happen if that was the piece that should be recovered um, with me, should something happen? It does make me think that maybe wearing mass produced jewellery, which I actually have to confess to owning quite a lot of, and that often is very, it's not very good at identifying us because one piece of jewellery in Scotland bought from a mass produced high street shop looks the very same to a piece of jewellery from Germany or indeed anywhere else in the world. So it's a unique position to be in because I find myself obviously not able to sometimes just enjoy, um, you know, wearing and enjoying and experiencing jewellery, which is something that we should all be able to do. So who knows, um, perhaps I'm a little bit of a hypocrite in that sense. Maybe I should be wearing every piece of jewellery I own that has a hallmark. I must confess I'm not a big jewellery wearer myself. <laughs> Thank you, Maria, so much for your time. It was great speaking with you. And I really appreciate all of the time you've taken and the important insights that you shared with us. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, it's been a delight to chat to you. You as well. Thanks so much. Take care and stay safe. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us at the Jewelry Connoisseur Podcast. If you enjoyed this and would like more top quality jewelry content, check out the Jewelry Connoisseur blog at jewelryconnoisseur.net. 